0: Welcome in, welcome in, welcome once again to the newest edition of Three In, Three Out. I'm your host, Clinton Bonner. Find me out on Twitter at Clinton Bonn, and I am joined by the one, the only, the great, Brandon Schultz. Find him out on Twitter at Seahawkers Pod. And today, Brandon, it's still got a little Sunday fun day going, Brandon. This is nice. We're landing our weekend. The landing gears are down. You've been out doing yard work all day. I was at a graduation party, had the had our Westbrook Little League closing day ceremonies all day yesterday, little double-A baseball game. So we're both ready for some Seahawks talk, some NFL talk, and then then probably land the old personal ship. Maybe some movies, maybe some Loki, maybe a beer. I don't know. But Brandon, I, I'm liking this Sunday vibe. I hope you are too.
1: Oh, we have all kinds of things that we can roll with, Clinton. It is Sunday, and man, you know, my thoughts are with all the people out in Seattle, like the, the hundred degree weather. Like I've been thinking through, you know, before we get into the the top three storylines for the Seahawks top three ways to stay cool with, because I, I'll have, you know, this, and you might, you might not be aware of this at all, Clinton, but most people in Seattle, like the homes there do not have air conditioning because it usually doesn't get super hot. Oof. And so toofy. yes, every house that I lived in out in that area, never had AC. And th- there would be days where it got pretty bad, but when it gets to a hundred, uh, that's when you, you hope that you have it. And, but, uh, there were days when I lived out there where it got in the nineties, where one thing I would do, like I'd go to the movie theater. Cause oh, you know, nice, where can nice. you sit in a nice, cool spot for a long time without, you know, having to worry. Yeah. It could cost you some money if you got a whole family that you have to do that, but, uh, go into the movies number one place or you know just to cabela's to look at the camping store that sort of thing <laughs> sure. uh, another thing you can do you can jump in the shower and just cool off in the shower like turn the turn the hot water down and uh it's like having your own little you know you, you could go outside and and jump in the pool but if you don't have a pool you just you have your own house pool it's a little, a
0: little, a personal pool, right? That's
1: that's. A,
0: I'm gonna call my shower my personal pool now, so I, I, I kind of like that. This way, when when I'm when I'm drinking, it's like it's totally fine. It's like oh, I'm just drinking my personal pool. What of <coughs> it? It's Tuesday am. Isn't this fine? So oh, you have like a pool at your house, I have three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, it's, it's a personal pool, but it's very nice. It's like a pan pizza. You know, it's like it's very, very nice. I love it. And I did hear, you know, I'm not exactly keeping up with the weather patterns in, in the Pacific Northwest, living all the way across over here in Connecticut. And it's not the middle of the year where I would go in and, and you know care. Is it gonna rain on Sunday and things of that nature? Um, however, this one was like unavoidable, right? So I'm on Twitter and I follow lots of people that are out on out on Twitter that obviously do live out there being a Seahawks fan. And I keep seeing like, you know, 104, 108, 111. I'm like, what are they talking about? I'm like, what, like what's going on here? This is not Phoenix. So I open up my weather app and I'm like, holy shnikes. Like literally they're calling for like 108 degrees tomorrow. I'm like that's, that's insane. So to anybody out there, yeah, I like the personal pool idea, Brandon. If you don't <laughs> got the whole pool, go with the personal pool. Uh, movie theaters is, is a nice, nice rip. I think there's casinos up there. Casinos they tend to keep really pretty cold. That, on that purpose could too. potentially
1: be more expensive than the movie theater, but maybe even profitable. So yeah, yeah. I guess that's what that's, that's what the casino's there for.
0: That's the actual function. Yeah, exactly <laughs> <Is that> correct. <laughs> like you, bet you may walk in with, you may walk out with a lot less money, but you might walk <laughs> out, you know, doubling, tripling what you walked in with, and still being cool and getting some uh, drinks on the cheap as well. So, maybe the casino if, if if you're feeling lucky punk, you know, head to the casino. Regardless, stay cool in that 108 degree weather. That sounds stupid, but we got some hot topics today, Brandon. You mentioned we're going to talk three stories, the big for us, what we think are the three biggest storylines for our beloved Seattle Seahawks. And then we're going to we're going to go macro. We're going to extract, you know, there's 31 other teams out there. We're going to talk about three other big stories. Within the entire NFL offseason. And I'm looking forward to this branded because three and three out is born of the idea that it's in the nooks and crannies, it's in the crevices that maybe are not national storylines. So I'm looking forward to extracting some of these that maybe aren't being talked about all that much because hey,
1: it's basically uh June. I think there are some things, and I noticed that in at fieldgoals.com in the comments section. Uh, Frank, he posted his three storylines and he mixed in both the Seahawks and the NFL and said, hey, uh, you know, my list could change uh, in a month from now. But as of right now, I, I feel like these are the things that we're thinking about. Right.
0: Very nice. And I, I didn't get to see any of those. Are there any of that stood out for you that, that Frank put in?
1: Or do you or do you want to hold them off and see if we maybe have a match? I, I, I say we hold them off to, and see if we match. OK, we'll, we'll, I like will play it. a little like match game with with Frank T. Reigns.
0: I like it. Well, with a name like that, it's worth the wait. Let's put it that way. So, well, they're very good. It is a Seahawks podcast. This is three and three out. So instead of going NFL first, why don't we start off with with the Seahawks ones and we we could start there. So this is not going to come as a huge shock, but I think, again, this one's not going to be too nitty gritty. However, the biggest storyline for me this year, uh, maybe it's one, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, but definitely in my top three is simply the idea of the veterans that we got back on the Seahawks at the value we got them back on. So I'm I'm looking squarely, one on the defensive side of the ball, one on the offensive side of the ball. And I could say like Dunlap and Carson, like Mm. just look at the combination and you could lump others in that kind of mega category as well. But overall for me, Brandon, like those were extremely team friendly deals. And I think we have to rewind the clock a little bit and remember that we freaking let Dunlap walk, right? We we cut him right we're like, yep, sorry, sorry, dude. And me personally, I was like, I don't get it, just extend. Why wouldn't you just extend? We this is a perfect year to do it, etc. etc. And also, Carson's like a, a top two, maybe my favorite player, P- quite possibly my favorite player. So, and I was just, you know, resigned to we're not gonna sign him, he's gone. And and we'd figure it out with, with some other, some other way. Lo and behold. Dunlap comes back cheaper and we get Carson on an extremely friendly deal. So to me, those are kind of the one A and one B that just slide right in as huge storylines that I did not think were going to happen in this off season.
1: Yeah. That's an interesting number one. That, that's not where my mind went first, but you can kind of lump in some of the defensive side, lump in some of the offensive side. You have the optimism of guys that you can include like Richard Sherman or maybe Golden Tate you know, to, to, to to fill some of those other needs. I, I I like it. It's not where my mind went. Number one though.
0: Well, I understand that. And that's that's why we are. Although we both have personal uh, pools now, which is nice, uh, multiple personal pools, we are still different human beings, you know. So um, so what is what would then be what was number one for you? What what do you want to bring out of the woodwork?
1: Yeah, for me, the number one was what Frank went with at field goals. And it is. And I took it a little bit different spin. Mine was how quickly can the Seahawks offense get things together with the new offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron? Because it just is such a big unknown that we're we're not going to know how it's going to look until week one of the regular season. And even in the preseason, you just you never, I think, get an idea of what the offense is really capable of. And yeah, there's at least going to be some play calling within the offense. But we're talking about an offensive coordinator who has never called offensive plays, at, at least, you know, maybe a play here or there in the preseason when uh, McVay lets the the younger guys uh, get some play calls in, I suppose. But it is the number one question for me. And, and Frank spins it a little bit differently. He says, will Shane Waldron's magic offense elevate Seattle's O-line to a top 10 unit? And allow the world to see what let Russ Cook was supposed to be about, or will the offense struggle with the new system? And if they do, how long until the Russell Wilson trade speculation starts anew?
0: Ooh, I mean, I love it. And and the you know Shane the main <laughs> Shane the main brain Waldron was certainly on my podium there for for top three stories has to be talked about. I like that Frank spun it to the idea also of. Um, will it elevate the O line? So, not just Gabe Jackson coming in, you know, not not just the fact the O line got better. By the way, I'm tired of the national media. Like a little little, little soliloquy, a little sidecar. The national media story on the Seahawks is so boring and lazy and repetitive. It's still Russ is not happy, Seattle doesn't have an offensive line, and all Pete Carroll does is run the ball. Like, literally, it's just that's all they talk about. And it's like, hold on a second. We, we fired an OC who, who by stats-wise, actually had had a good year, although we know it degraded it. And that dude just, he shot, he could not be here for another year. Wasn't going to happen. Glad he's gone. Wish him well. We bring in a guy in a completely different offense, much more horizontal offense. We bring in a, a different type of tight end with Everett. We use our first pick on D. Eskridge. And all the talk is like, this is a much more nuanced and different offense that's not going to just be about the vertical game. So... And I, but again, back to Frank's point, I love the concept that, yeah, if we're getting the ball out of Russ's hands a heck of a lot quicker, then yeah, it could be that Patriot effect that we talked about last week. The offensive line might all of a sudden look really, really good if Russ is not spinning around and pirouette and, and taking, you know, taking two or three sacks a game that he just won't take anymore. So I, I'm i quite bullish on that. And I happen to agree. I think it's the most important story. And I mean, I could talk Shane the main,
1: main brain all day Sunday. Well, and I, I like it too with the way Frank looks at it because it does bring in the offensive coordinator component, as well as the offensive line component, because there are those two questions. So if you can, if you can just stack these up and and put it into your number one storyline that you're most interested in, that's the way to go.
0: It it, it almost becomes, you know, the number one storyline are all the freaking changes. You know, like hey, hey what? Well, hey, there you go. What'd you, I, well, yeah, well, how, what, who knew? Who knew? What, yeah, what, what on I the like?
1: topic of national media, though, the thing that has been bothering me the most this off season is the idea that halfway through the season that Pete Carroll took over and the Seahawks just started running the ball. And that's why the Seahawks offense was so bad in the second half of the season. And I've heard it so much this off season that I'm starting to question like what I saw with my own eyeballs at the second half of last season. I was like, you know, I I felt like toward the second half of the season, I was calling them. I, I was calling for the Seahawks to run the ball more because they were trying to throw it too much and not doing it successfully, and, and that's just what my my mind went to. And then I listened to Joe Fan on the the Talking Seahawks podcast. He had Greg Bell on, and thank goodness it it took the you know, the local perspective of of the local guy like Greg Bell to 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 bring me back and just remind me that my eyeballs it's uh, yes what I witnessed was correct. And that, yeah, we we were calling for more running in the second half of the season because of what the defenses were were giving the Seahawks.
0: I listened to that very same podcast and I actually tweeted at Greg Bell like a day after that because he mentioned his appearance on, on on Joe's pod. And he and he was like putting the snoring face out that the Russ story was still out there, still talking about that. And, and I was like, this is the lazy lemmings of the national media do, doing this thing. And I also think it's very heavily driven by fantasy, fantasy football, like that mindset of fantasy. Yeah. Very, very much so. So all a lot of that national media goes right along with, with the fantasy points of it all, which of course is not real football. And I love fantasy football, but it just drags, it drags the story in such a way that it's like, well, Russ had five less attempts per game the last eight, eight of the year. It's like, you know why? Because they stopped getting first downs. They they stopped having long drives. It, right. was, it was, you know, if you get a few more first downs a game or half, well, then guess what? He would have had five, six, seven more attempts because their plays were down because they were a less successful offense. And and I'm with you. We were like, let's run the freaking ball down their throats because we, we probably could have done more of that in, in quite a number of games. So that I am very much looking forward to. I I want to see us kind of like shock, shock the national media back into uh, the, the actual reality, let's say by week three, four or five, we're like, oh, uh, Seattle's not just, you know, pounding the ball 80 times a game. They are still a pretty damn good offense. And by the way, things look really good under Shane, the main brain. So that's what I'm looking for. Well, so then, then great- it will be
1: because Pete Carroll turned over the offense to Shane, the main brain, and, and they, <laughs> yes. he just brought this whole new dynamic that. We've just never seen before.
0: Yes, Pete finally did it. Pete, Pete finally relinquished control, and look what happened. He should have done that 10, 10 years ago, right? That'll. You're right. That that will be what's written. But we shall know the truth. So that that's that's an awesome number one for you. I'll I'll bounce over to. Yeah, what well, will let's. Be, uh,
1: I'll oh, take. Yeah. I'll I'll move my number one to number two, and now we'll go to number three. Okay, yeah, all good, all good. And of course, if you got a three,
0: we throw it up there too. Hey, nothing wrong with the brand in for the loyal listen listeners out there. You know when you get a brand in, which is nice. But number three for me right now is just the it is the big question mark, question mark, question mark on what is what what are our cornerbacks gonna look like come week one? What is that really gonna or maybe week four, like first, I would say first quarter of the season, but I guess four and a quarter games in um with with this new math we gotta deal with. But what is that gonna look like to me? and it being the fact that it's DJ Reed and then I don't know. I don't know. Will it be Trey Brown? will it be Akello? I don't know what's going to happen there. Is there some some other dark horse that could come out of this? For me, the fact that it's like the most negative slash most most seen missing, it has to be talked about as for me, one of the top three, because it gives me the most apprehension right now. And I'm on a Sunday right now, Brandon, in the middle of the summer. I don't want apprehension. I want a cool drink and I want some Loki on on, you know, Disney Plus. But yet here I am. My shoulders are tense. Talk me off the ledge.
1: I it's it was on my list. It actually made my number three too. I had I had one more above it, but the question about the corners it was something that, and and I feel like we've talked about this a lot. The the idea of well the, the Seahawks they can they can usually find corners. You know they they took a guy in Shaquille Griffin in the third round and he developed into a, a guy who was you know coveted in free agency enough to be you know one of those guys that the Seattle just couldn't afford to pay. Justin yep. Coleman, they trade a seventh round pick to the Patriots and ends up being a guy that they just can't keep because he he's paid elsewhere. And, and you see so many times of it's the guy opposite Richard Sherman, who once he came up for contract, another team was taking him away from us. So I'm actually a little bit excited to see, you know, who that next up and coming person could be in that group. And I, I've, I've made it known that Akello, I, I don't think is the guy, but I'd be happy to be wrong. And it's just yeah, who's going to be the guy opposite DJ Reed? Yeah,
0: and, and and you know we just don't know yet. And it being that we had the, the little mini training camp, and we're still weeks—I think still now four weeks or so away from from the the start of the rest of the the large mini camp, and then into the into the uh, the, the three games they're going to play in the preseason. We just we just don't know right now. Like as much as I like to pretend that I'm a I'm, I'm, I'm mama Clio sometimes with the crystal balls. This one to me is the most cloudy. There are no answers. And it's still the one where it's like, hey, are, are they done? Is this roster what the roster is going to be when it becomes the 53? Are there still some dudes out there, obviously Sherm and others that might still be out there that they want to they take a sniff at? So I'm just interested. It's It's got the most, to me, it's got the most for me the most peaked interest on what will that look like actually come week one of the regular season when we are facing off against the Colts right was that the Colts yeah Colts, Colts week at, one yeah at Indy okay so what's it going to look like I don't know it's it's cloudy cloudy with the with a chance of uh, with a chance of meatballs for certain
1: I feel like we'll at least get some answers with that in the preseason it's not like the Shane Waldron thing where we have to wait until week one to to have a good idea I think. Based on what we see in the preseason, we're going to start to have a feel of who can be that, you know, who our starting corners are going to be going into week one, at least.
0: Oh, yeah. And I I very much, you know, believe it'll be one of the most covered things as we're ramping into August and very early September, because it's one of the spots where it's like we don't know yet. Right. So it'll it'll be like the big camp battle, one of the larger camp battles that and who really emerges emerges as the the third wide receiver Will it be Eskridge? Will Penny Hart come come and just be like, nope, that's mine. Will Freddie Swain step up? Will John Ursua make the team and be our third, you know, wide receiver and own the slot like he can? We shall see. But uh, but, yeah, the cornerback one, super, super fuzzy. So was, by the way, did you have a, you know, a fourth that was just off the podium? Anything else that since we had a couple that were that were uh, matched?
1: I do. Uh, Ryan in the chat, I, I want to point out, says, I hope we know who all our starters are by week one. Yes, <laughs> that would be ideal. I, I know there have been seasons, though, where we look at the offensive line and we go, ah, who's, I wonder who's going to be in the lineup come week one, because I, I can't really tell based on preseason. So yeah, hopefully that will be there. so the the one that I think missed the podium for me, well, i I actually had this one as number two. so so this was right after number one, the offense for me. That's how that's my, how that my, works. My, yeah. <laughs> the, the number two comes after number one. <laughs> my number two. <laughs> my number two was can the defensive line pick up where it left off at the end of twenty twenty one? because if you look back to that first half of last season, You know, you you did have Jamal making his presence felt as a pass rusher until he got hurt. Uh, But it wasn't until Carlos Dunlap came along, things started looking better. Now, though, Jaron Reed leaving in the offseason. But you have all these other guys, Al Woods coming back, thigh arm is going to be in the mix. Uh, You have all the other pass rushers. You know, Rasheem Green has another year on him. Can Alton Robinson make the jump in year number two? Uh, There's there's a lot of interesting components to the defensive line, and I just I want to see them just start right back up from where they left off at the end of from the second half of last season.
0: Uh, Yeah, and that so I had a similar one. It's it's almost the 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 yin and yang take of that or just just the opposite side of the coin was will we feel more pain with with Jaron Reed's departure than we've been willing to admit so far? Which is very, very, you know, they're they're all kind of in the same vein of well, if the defensive line performs, you know, we, we got thigh arms, we got Hyder, we got Mayoa back on on a good deal.
1: So gonna get Gino Atkins. So oh yeah, well, we're, gonna get,
0: we're gonna get Atkins, and we we may get him. Um, I love what we've done in the defensive line. Love it. I think we have a great rotational team, rotational core there, and I think we'll be able to put very nice, consistent pressure on on the quarterback. And that really did change the game that, that changed it dramatically. Uh, you know, the first, the last eight weeks of the season, um, Reed was, I think Reed was, was better than, I think he was better than, than we, that I think he's, he kind of like, we talked about, he kind of got a bit of a raw deal, a little bit like undervalued almost. And when he had that partner in crime, whether that was Clark or Dunlap, mm-hmm. he became a dude that could get interior pressure. And I don't know, I don't, I don't suspect Monet can do that. And I don't, and I haven't seen that from Al Woods, good players in their own right that can clog up, clog up space. Your linebackers could go, go do that, but it's different when your when your DT can go do that. Um, And I don't think we got that guy, but I'm still, I'm still quite bullish on what the defensive line has done. That's right, right up there for me too, Brandon. I think, I think we're going to have quite a successful season when it comes to just QB pressures, tackles for tackles for losses, TFLs. And then, of course, the the all beloved sack.
1: Well, we do have one from Ryan in the chat it says, not sure if this is a storyline, but guaranteed every time Troy Aikman calls one of our games, he'll say, now, remember, Russ said he hates his entire O-line. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out throughout the game. <laughs> and yeah. yes, this this will be a storyline that we have to hear, especially nationally in those national televised games. It's going to be brought up every single time.
0: Every time. That's it, Ryan, spot on. That's exactly what it will be. Oh, no, they, they had a really rough, really tough off season, And, you know, Russ made it clear and this, that, and that. And, and this is this is it. If they can't get out of the first round, Russ is going to be bambling on the Seahawks. And yeah, all, all that's going to be there. He went on down
1: Patrick and threw his offensive line under the bus. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And at, and at the end of it, when I look at what Russ did, um, is it, do I love, do I love the the way? Um, no. Do I like the results I think he actually got as a Seahawks fan? Uh, yeah, I do. We, we improved the team on the offensive line. We got more skills players that he could throw the ball to. I I think, you know, if it's like, hey, did Russ win? If that's like a, hey, did he win that or lose that? Did he gain leverage or lose leverage? I, he, I think he won. He got more of what he wanted. And, and therefore, so did we. So, uh, huzzah, I'm with it.
1: But they didn't overhaul the offensive line like the Chiefs did. So they're they're always they they just it couldn't be enough.
0: Yeah, it couldn't be enough. And that's uh, that that is some that's some very that's some clairvoyance, by the way.
1: I'll I'll just say that. One more here from a a Seahawks related storyline from Frank. Uh, The top three, he listed at number three. His number two was an NFL storyline, although related to the Seahawks. And three was, will the real Jamal Adams please stand up? Dude set a record for sacks by a defensive back last year, and the trade for him jump-started our defensive makeover. Yet, all most people seem to want to talk about is his lackluster coverage skills during the 2020 season. Using that one argument as a catch-all to justify their position regarding the trade, his pending extension... Seattle's front office missteps, et cetera, regardless of whether Adams signs an extension, seeing him shut down the critics would be a super rewarding storyline this year. I love it.
0: I like what Frank T is uh, bringing. You know, if Frank T wants to bring, bring these on, on, you know, as much as you want, Frank T, bring, bring, bring the volume, bring the noise, because because I I think you're dropping some pearls there. And that's a huge one. What I like about the ones you're bringing up are they're just crucial. Like it's a a if, you know, it's a, a very logical thing. Like if we get that, that kind of Jamal, who I thought was actually quite good already, like really, really good year one, a guy that fires everybody else up. If we get that next level Jamal, man, we're, we're a dangerous team. This is a good team. I really like, by the way, how things are setting up across the board that we're kind of under the radar. People, think, people seem to think we're on the decline because of all the, this rust noise. And right. under the covers, like under the hood where the engine actually revs, It's a far better team. And, uh, you know, I know there's some parts that are a little bit less than last year, but as a whole, this is a a higher performing sports car. And I think we got an opportunity to kind of smack a few people and be like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the Seahawks. Well, you shouldn't. But, you know, keep trashing us until we play you.
1: Well, a lot of that has to do with these storylines that have developed outside of Seattle. And that's why I thought it made a good uh, mixture to bring in the NFL storylines that you and I are interested in. And so let's go right there. The number one storyline outside of Seattle that I think, well, the number one thing uh, in in terms of NFL storylines uh, doesn't really impact the Seahawks unless it's, you know, one game out of the year. But I think the thing I'm most interested in is what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers, because as much drama as the Russell Wilson stuff happened in this off season, the next step above that is Aaron Rodgers. So if things are going to elevate for Russ next season and to where he would you know go to the Aaron Rodgers level, I want to see how it plays out with Rodgers because you know can he come in and after this kind of off season go back to his team and you know, put up another season where he's taken him to the the division round or the NFC Championship game. If he can do that, then if if Russ is going to you know, throw an even bigger hissy fit in the, in the off season, like a real one, uh, then I, I want to say, okay, well that's fine. You can have the off season to, to be in the media, but when, when things come to, to actually playing, then, uh, yeah, just play out your contract and we'll see what happens.
0: And I think this one, you know, it's, it's, it has to be, I mean, it's, Hey, he's the MVP of the
1: league and he's, and he's pissy,
0: <laughs> like really, really pissy. Right. Yeah, well, uh, like and, it,
1: and it's not just him. It's the, the team stuff coming from the general manager. Oh, like totally. this dude is your MVP and some of the stuff that's coming from the top of the organization is really weird. Yep. Yeah. And, and,
0: and the other piece too is, you know, as in my brain, I'm like, what's the most logical conclusion? The most logical conclusion is, they they kiss and make up and he's and he's he's there because yeah. money and and legacy and just everything else that goes along with it. And then then I have to say, OK, is Aaron Rodgers a, a way bigger D-bag than than, than Russell Carrington Wilson? <laughs> I think he is like, is is he a more spiteful human being than Russell Carrington Wilson? I kind of know who he is. And look at the stuff he's done to his family, like shutting, literally shutting his family out over, over, you know, myriad girlfriends. So, so it's
1: not possible he, to get that bad is what you're telling yeah,
0: me. I, I I don't think, I don't think it'll swing that bad for us. I really don't. And, and with the Aaron Rodgers line, I, I, there's still this, like, I think he'll play. He'll be there week one, but I think there's way more of a possibility that he's just, He's he seems way more stubborn and way more like he's going to dig into his point and not give in, even if it hurts you know, him, him financially and his legacy, et cetera, et cetera, where he's like, nope, I'm not playing for you. And that's that. Uh, I still think it's a possibility, which is just freaking fascinating that you're MVP of a storied franchise. Right. This is a this is a team that hasn't had a bad quarterback when did Favre start? 90, well, besides the Falcons, when he yeah, got traded. What, 94, what? 90, 95? Oh, not, yeah, some, something, right? Something there. So we're talking of, of, of multiple decades here.
1: Because when having, did the Seahawks draft Maguire? That was the year that Favre was in the draft. So was that 91? I think so. By, oh, I ma- think maybe 94, 95, he was a star then.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he's, he's yeah we'd have to go back 93, 94, exactly but yeah he, he's drafted by the Falcons I think that's ninety or ninety one yeah, I, I think that's, so that, that's, that's yeah that that's kind of squares away so regardless we're talking about we're talking about a really really long time here I where, was right uh, ninety one there you go I remember the, I remember what the card looked like and I remember uh, NFL score it was it was the green card with the horizontal stripes up top and I remember his his kind of you know goofy mug with the with the Falcons and everything. So when you, um, go,
1: when you Google search Brett Favre draft, it's multiple pictures of Favre in his jean shorts, taking the phone call.
0: Very nice. Yeah, there you go. At least they were not jorts. Not yet, at least. Right. Uh, so, uh, well, I, mean, I
1: think he was a precursor to jorts. Those, those were like, I, I think they were homemade jorts.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Much respect. then. that, that's all I have to say about that. So, but it's been so long since they've had a bad quarterback there. Uh, in fact, they have two Hall of Famers back to back, which doesn't happen that often. No. So it, it, it's the the airtime we're giving it is because it's deserved. It. It's not it's not the nook and cranny, but it has to be. It's the pad of butter on on this NFL offseason must be discussed. But if you had to uh, lay down some money on it, Brandon, hundred bucks in you know, one way or the other. Uh, let's say let's give you a money line. Uh, it's plus one thirty. Okay, so hundred bucks net you one hundred and thirty if uh, that he's he doesn't play. He, he sits out at least two games, the first two games. Okay. Or okay. you have to, or you uh, could lay a hundred to win say 80 that he's starting week one.
1: So, yeah, you're, you're, I, you know, I would do that like. one. I, 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 will take the the less amount of money, but I think I, you know what? I would probably bet a hundred dollars to win uh 30 bucks. is how sh- sure I am that he's going to be back with the Packers. I, I this last week, people brought up the idea that the the potential exists for him to do a COVID opt out for the 2021 season. I, you know, then he's going to have to sit out the entire season. I would just say I'm retiring and go the you know Barry Sanders route or the Brett Favre route and then make it known that you want to be traded. And uh, I, I think that would have to be the way to go if you wanted if you absolutely wanted to get out. Just uh, decide to sit out and force the trade that way, I suppose.
0: Well, I think that might be a lovely little segue for for my number one non non uh, Seahawks story because it has one of those elements are are wrapped in there. So if you don't mind, I'll, I'll take the ball and and run with it. Let's do it. All right. So for me, you mentioned it earlier, and I think from an NFL perspective, there's it's like there's no bigger story in terms of like what will happen on the field than what the Kansas City Chiefs did with their offensive line. You alluded to it. You actually threw it out there earlier. And what I'm saying about, hey, a dude who retired then says, ah, oh, you know what? I fooled you. <laughs> We're talking Kyle Long. He comes back out. He just didn't want to play for the for the you know teams that's been playing for anymore. He's like, I want out of there. I want to go play for a team that's a chance to win the chip and go play for a coach like Andy Reid. And that's a dude who who will Kyle Long will probably still be a backup. Right, so they're getting they're getting the good doctor back. They're getting uh Laurent, I think is uh, Duvernay, I think Tardif is how you say it or right. Tardif, uh, the doctor. Right, he's coming back. He's he's actually their starting guard. They go get Joe Tooney, who of course we were coveting, and most of the league was coveting, and paid him big money. They get Austin Blythe, who who is like you know you, he's the run of the mill center for the Rams, but he's he's clearly competent, and they're just taking the line of well, if you we have a, an okay center, we could build around him. They traded for Orlando Brown from the Ravens as a tackle. He's freaking good. And the year previous, they had Mike Remmers, who's also a really good right tackle. So this is a team who saw what happened in the Super Bowl and said, never again, like not happening, not going to do it. We're not joking around. And then they go out and literally just blasted out there they do the exact opposite of the of the Oakland or said the Vegas Raiders right. the Vegas Raiders detonated it said who cares about you know quality linemen who are proven they did the exact opposite and just brought dudes in and that is an incredible overhaul so it's like usually i'm a big believer in the uh the super bowl not the meltdown what do they call it? the hangover right the super bowl hangover I'm usually a big believer in that, that the Super Bowl team that loses sometimes could have a heck of a time. It's kind of been proven out. And I, with the Chiefs, I'm like, I would be, if I'm again, a betting man, I'm like, man, the Bills should be really good this year, should be really good. Is there a team that's going to compete with the Chiefs? I don't know. The defense, we'll see, but Mahomes with a redone offensive line and now it will Clyde Edwards-Alaire be a lot better with, with a with a functioning offensive line this year, a much better offensive line. You still, of course, have Kelsey. You still got Hill. The rest of the wide receiving core, eh. But that, to me, is the biggest overhaul. I think they just reloaded, and they're in a great position to get back to a third consecutive Super Bowl.
1: With the Chiefs, they have so much to overcome. One, with overhauling the offensive line. And can a group like that come together in one season I have my questions there, and then the Super Bowl hangover part too. So, yeah, that's it. Seems like a lot for a team to overcome, and I, I am really curious to see how that's going to play out. It, it wasn't on my list, but the the one that was, and I'll go. I'll be real quick with it because I want to bring Phil sure. in to to see if we can uh, knock out at least a couple questions in pain games. But uh, the one for me: Can Matt Stafford live up to this off season hype? And that's you know, I, I think we're these last two are, are pointing to things that are getting a lot of hype this off season. And I just, I have that question of all the expectations that are going into the Rams 2021 season because of the quarterback change. Is that going to be, is, is that one thing going to be enough to overcome the fact that they lose a bunch of guys on the defensive side of the ball? They lose their defensive coordinator and you see Andrew Whitworth is a, another season older. you playing into his 40s as a, as a left tackle. Can Matt Stafford and come in and, and elevate to a level that he wasn't able to in Detroit? And yes, he has all the talent, but he just he hasn't been that guy yet. And I feel like the expectations are there that he's just going to come into L.A. and and just be the man and elevate the, the Rams offense to a level that we haven't seen.
0: And and I was perusing some prop bets because I was looking at some some storylines outside of outside the Seahawks doom for us. And it was kind of amazing to me that of all the teams in the NFC West, the Rams have the highest, you know, uh, odds for the most wins. So yep. so Vegas Vegas is pitching them out there the same way. And they're really believing the it's like the the combination of Stafford's better and his time in Detroit, they stunk. Like they were only okay because of him. There's just a lot. There's a lot of chips. Like literally a lot of chips pushed into that Stafford corner to see see if he could do exactly that. And and I don't know either. I I just don't. I just don't know. Um, the Rams, they surprised me last year. They like, coming off the year previous which after they lost the Super Bowl, they did have a pretty bad Super Bowl hangover and kind of had a down year. And they really did bounce back quite nicely last year. Uh, and that was with Goff with with one thumb and Goff not being very good. So we'll see. We'll we'll see how that all shakes. Uh, it is one of the ones, it, it was surprising to me that Vegas was was really stacking and saying they're predicting qu- quite a good season and, and they're predicting them to win the NFC West. And this is a good division. So very interesting to me. And Brandon, before we do get to Phil, can I put one more out there that has has an over under uh, win loss thing that I think is quite compelling?
1: All right, let's hear it.
0: Uh, so this one to me is there is a team that I think is on the cusp of being really quite good. When I looked at the over under predictions from Vegas, it has them as an eight an eight win team. So they so Vegas is predicting them to be eight nine. Then when I look at their division, and I'm like, all right, that division might might be better than last year. This is still not a good division. Then I go look at their schedule. I'm like, all right, it's a fairly difficult schedule. However, I definitely can pick some wins at, wins out of the non-divisional games. And I'm looking squarely at the Washington football team. Mm. This is a team that's got Gibson in year two, had a bad toe injury down the stretch that really hurt them. They, got, they went and got Curtis Samuel, who's going to be, to me, an amazing compliment to McLovin on the other side there. McLovin's finally going to have somebody to take the heat off of him. Logan Thomas was an amazing surprise tight end, kind of a Darren Waller style, who came kind of came out of nowhere. They signed William Jackson at quarterback. They already have probably a top two, maybe maybe the best defensive line that can get pressure with four dudes right there already who are all young. This is not an old defensive line. These are young dudes that are like year three, year two, year four. And I just see, and they got Fitz Magic. I see an opportunity where this team this team could to me can go win 10, go win 11 games. So I'm not giving any uh, professional gambling advice. <laughs> However, if you're going to throw any money on a prop this year, Washington football team over, over eight wins. That seems like a pretty good one to me. And I like that nook and cranny because, you know, we're not going to talk WFT very often on three and three out.
1: Yeah. I, obviously that one comes because of the, the questions at quarterback for that team. And yeah, I, I have a, I'd struggle to put money on it, but uh, I like where your head's at. Good,
0: I like, I like, th- I like that you like that, and 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 Fitzpatrick, he's he's actually pretty good. So he is uh, good. And if he not, is. if not, Heine- Heineke showed promise. So we'll he see, did. we'll see how it all folds. It's gonna be a but fun team uh, to watch. Hey, yeah, they will be, they, which is which is something we haven't said about that team in quite a number of years, and I think that's probably back to RG three rookie year. They haven't been excited, like oh, I'm excited to see what this team could do. They're gonna be a team to watch this year.
1: Football team will be a team to watch. And the pain games with Phil are up now. And uh, Phil, we're glad you could join us.
2: So we have Brandon's. Was that like a Clinton? Is he bringing the goods, the tonnage (laughs) with the lay down for the Washington football team? Is that what that is? Extra little something extra
0: yeah, it's a little something like that for sure, for sure, phil. and when the when the regular season starts, and we start doing our what what I call traditional three in three outs, you will yes, I, i'm going I'm going to predict that by week one, you'll know the true definition of the brandon,
2: and we'll all, we'll all be remembering that Clinton said to uh, count on the Washington football team coming through above what 9 and 7 you're saying this year at least uh i'm i'm saying they're
0: going nine, at least 9 and 8 no, with that 17 eight. week yep so just over
2: eight over eight wins over eight
1: so a better than 500 football team correct
2: well a little bit of pain games a little bit of pain games um i was thinking of uh belly flops if it does a belly flop for the season how painful will it be you know when when someone is struggling a painful moment we kind of feel bad for them but when it's in a team it's kind of it's kind of a combination. Do you feel mad? Do you feel bad? A little bit of both. I was watching some international soccer here and the Slovakia keeper, he had a shot coming and he jumped up to spike the ball over the net. And he spiked, this is international, big time against Spain. He spiked it right into the net. I mean, it was like <laughs> as big of a belly flop as I've seen. And then, of course, there was playoff P. He uh, missed a couple free throws that were key in the playoffs right at the end of the game and you feel bad for them but you can imagine the teammates and their fans kind of feeling mad so what would be the most painful belly flop between a couple of alternatives I know you guys don't like the short answer so we're going back to multiple choice or either or most painful belly flop for the season if it's Ethan Posick or Gerald Everett what'd be the most painful belly flop of a season as a fan do you think
1: Oh, see, I was thinking that we were gonna go, you know, open answer on this one, and I'd say, you know, if they bl- brought back Blair Walsh, or if they had to bring him back, and then, <laughs> you know, they end up losing against the Rams again in the playoffs by a Blair Walsh, you know, twenty-six yard oh, field goal. But yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> Experiences, that's the most, yes, painful like moment. A team
2: experience, yeah. yeah. What if one of these players has a belly flop season? What would be what be the most
1: you know what? I think that there's so little difference probably in the minds of uh, of John Schneider and Pete Carroll between Kyle Fuller and Ethan Posick that if they didn't if they didn't see the need to upgrade at uh, directly at that position either through the draft or through free agency, I think the drop off yeah. there is less. And so I would say Gerald Everett would be the bigger belly flop because you're bringing him in from LA he's part of the Shane Waldron system and that if he doesn't produce and you know even heard from Pete Carroll on local radio this last week saying that he expected Everett to be the breakout player he's not saying that about POSIC so if Everett comes in and flops that's going to be the most painful
0: by the way Phil great question I think this is a good one um when you first said it, I was really down the. It was, to me, it was like immediately Posick. I was like, man, if Posick flops, we're, we're we're in some deep doo doo because it is your center. But I like Brandon's point, so I think Brandon. I think I think you might have won me over with that. And this, and when I go back and I look quickly at you know who else did we lose this off season? We also lost Hollister. You know, Hollister was. I mean, he look at look at Hollister as a Seahawk. He was basically nothing but good. I mean, sure, he had a couple moments here or there, maybe a drop pass or two. Maybe, maybe he wanted to, do to get an inch more on a particular play. But Hollister was a good tight end for us and a, and a very specific role of that type of tight end. We don't have him anymore. You know, we have, we got, we got Uncle Will, hopefully healthy. We got some other dudes that are, that are, you know, kind of newer. We'll see, we'll see what pans out. And we bring in Everett to be one of those dudes who could be a bit more athletic and a little, little more dynamic. And, and we'll see if it happens. And if it doesn't happen, Tight end was, was a not a strength for us last year whatsoever. You know, Olsen just did not pan out. So, Brandon, I'm with you. Disappointing. you know, I think it's yeah. a great question, but I think if, if, if Everett does flop, we're going to have another season where we have a very underwhelming tight end group, and that's going to really diminish what the other dudes can potentially do. It just won't be like firing on all cylinders, and that's not going to be enough. Our defense is not great, so... We're gonna need we're gonna need 31, 34 points a game to win in the in this NFL
2: okay, so how about Hyder or Taylor? We're both excited about either of these guys. which belly flop would be the most painful for us
0: yeah, for me I think another good question I, I I dig it um for me, it's Hyder, you know, I think we're bringing Hyder in from a pain perspective. We're bringing Hyder in to really really be that the 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 one a the one B the opposite of the opposite of a Dunlap there I know we got Mayo I get all that Hyder is another grade above and I think the expectations or the desire is that Hyder can be if Dunlap can be the the Avril and Hyder can get like one or two years where where he has that kind of Michael Bennett level of Prime play is he that good maybe not but if he can get close to it we have a very, very strong defensive line all of a sudden, and if he's not there, there's, I think there's a step down to some of the other guys that I like a lot, but I think they really targeted Hyder for very specific reasons, and that, and that would be the more painful of the two, in my opinion. Mm.
1: For me, it is definitely Daryl Taylor, because he was a guy that the Seahawks traded up in the second round to get, so they clearly saw him as, as a piece that they needed for the defense. And then for him to not play at all last year was already a big hit because they had a chance to evaluate him in the offseason. And you would you would think that moving up in the second round, if if they had any idea that he was going to sit out all season, that's a guy that usually drops to the fourth, fifth round. So they they still they they saw him in in the evaluation process. They saw they liked him enough to draft to move up and draft him early in the second round. And if he flops to the point of where you're saying, okay, is this guy even going to play a snap in the NFL? Then you look back to Malik McDowell. Then you have this guy in the second round. And I just I feel like that that drops the confidence in the ability of the of John Schneider and and that part of the front office to evaluate draft talent. And and to me, that would be the more painful side.
0: I I do want to say real quick, that's interesting to me, Brandon, because I feel like it's the 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 downside of the possible collateral damage that you'd feel. So like if Taylor was a sixth round pick or a seventh round pick who missed last year, it sounds like you just wouldn't, would it be hider then for you if that dude just wasn't the guy that they moved up for?
1: Yeah, if he was a, a sixth, seventh round pick, then those guys, they generally don't make the team. But, you know, when you're talking your first, second, third round guys, those are guys that you expect to be. A big part We're of, excited about him. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I just think that that would be the more painful thing because for a free agent to not work out, we see that all the time. And so the expectation level that I have for guys like Hyder or Witherspoon is a lot lower than expectations that I would have of our first second round picks.
2: I feel like with Hyder, we have a few more options there lap and all I mean I'll be bombed I'm really excited for him to do well but Taylor I mean we really need a win here for Schneider on it's been a little bit since Frank Clark so I, I feel like he he needs to get this one and we've kind of let KJ wander out there so it's gonna look pretty bad on the direction if if Taylor doesn't hit and we'll, we'll just sit there and be disappointed during the season I think that'd be a little bit more painful whereas Hyder we can throw in a few other guys but that that's just me I, I think it's a tough question. Hopefully, that's the idea. You guys have a good Sunday.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you, Phil. We we always appreciate the pain games. We think you do a great job with them, and we welcome you anytime you got some uh, tough questions for Brandon and I. Have a blessed week. Thank you, Phil. So, Brandon. All right. I think we we marched through. We had a, we had a good time. We we got out of the little Seahawks bubble that we're in. We talked about the we talked about the weather the 108 degrees we have our personal pools we're landing the ship on this Sunday night and now I think it's time for us to to say our farewells and maybe ease into a movie a a binge of series maybe a podcast something with the family and I I think uh I think that's that's where I'm headed Brandon for a nice relaxing Sunday
1: evening maybe we'll get some more uh, off season loki talk as we you know get into the months of July because Man, oh man! There's not going to be a lot of football talk.
0: Yeah, and talk about the weather can't do that for too much. <laughs> can't do that. To, the Loki, yeah, man, I'll talk. I'll talk Loki anytime. And we got we got a few more weeks uh, of, of the of the doldrums. So if there's any other topics out there that folks want us to you know touch on, series you might like, or maybe some maybe some nooks and crannies series, Brandon, things that maybe go under the radar that people just are not as aware of that uh, that people want to call out to us. That'd be a fun thing to explore as well.
1: Oh, before we get out of here, I heard this on Pro Football Talk this week, and I I wanted to run it by you. Is Patrick Swayze a poor man's Kurt Russell, or is Kurt Russell a poor man's Patrick Swayze?
0: Now this this is a this this conversation that belongs in a dumpster. Both of these guys are like Mount Rushmore. Like first of all the hair alone right the hair alone on both of these guys is like golden
1: god status. Okay so, yeah, so now if you only dude. have two spots on Mount Rushmore who who gets the dominant <laughs> position then?
0: Oh man that that's tough. I I I love I I have a my childhood has such a soft spot for like Overboard the movie Overboard the original where Kurt Russell. I love it so much. Um yeah, man, I'm gonna. I'll put Kurt Russell in the more dominant position. But, you know, a big, a big, big trouble in Little China, uh, overboard. Like he, he blended being like, hey, I could go be the action guy, and I could go be like the the deadpan, really funny comedian, also. Um, so I'll give Kurt Russell the the nod, the the, the you know the the nudge there, or the, the the heads up, if you will, in a physical sense, but. But no, we're not putting Baby in a corner here. We're not putting Patrick Swayze a peg down, two pegs down, no way, no how. Patrick Swayze is right right next to him. They're both amazing. Like, put, put that, that question in the, the dustbin.
1: I I would put as the more dominant Kurt Russell, but man, did we miss the opportunity of having like a mashup of characters? Like, could you imagine uh, Snake Plissken and James Dalton like teaming up together in a movie, <laughs> uh, and or, or you know what if, what if Snake were to be one of the bodyguards at the Double Deuce too? Like how amazing of a movie would that be?
0: Yeah, the, uh, the sequels, the prequels, the whole the whole thing already would be would be amazing. And you know Patrick take, taken far too soon, but. But that's the whole, that's the point of the of the answer, right? There's there's so much good in, in the careers, although his was shorter than we wanted. The careers that they they had and that Kurt Russell continues to have, that you could I mean, even there's even like you know, the, the underrated movies like The Best of Times with Kurt Russell and, and Robin Williams, where they go back and play that high school football game in Texas. That movie is amazing. So there's there is so much good there to go explore. And for the young folks out there that might be listening, you know, just go do your own homework. We can't do that for you. But if you want some things to watch over this summer, go dig into some 80s and 90s Kurt Russell and Patrick Swayze. You will not be disappointed.
1: And I think with that, Clinton, there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks. Go
0: Hawks.